Welcome to Documentary Diehards, the show where three sports fans break down one 30 for 30 documentary each and every episode. It is episode number 24 already, here uh, just a couple days after Christmas. Uh, Ren with Sam and Nick. Nick, what's up? How's it going? Going good. Uh, thanks, guys, for allowing me to postpone this uh, this podcast for one night. I had to <clears throat> had to make the decision to choose the gophers over you guys for one night. So I uh, appreciate your forgiveness and and uh, your your loyalty to me, even though I was disloyal to you. <laughs> Sam's not happy about you with you. No, not at all. Actually, Ren and I were talking before this about possibly kicking you off the podcast and having someone more reliable. Yeah. But I guess we'll let it slide. For a second straight Gophers win over a ranked opponent, I guess, you know, <laughs> you do what you have to do. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Sacrifice it all for, for Marcus Carr. For Marcus that's your Carr. Christmas gift. Well, thank you. <laughs> and a happy new year to you guys. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So we got a, a Christmas-themed Mount Rushmore coming up because – it's still Christmas time, um, and we are doing a documentary about the Red Sox making history about 16 years ago. But I had a question. I was looking on Instagram today. Um, 16 years ago. Wow. When you yeah. just said that, my mind was just blown. Like, wow. okay. we, were, we were like 10 or 11. Wow. But Okay, so NFL playoffs, we're entering uh, week 17 next week. Just finished. Like, almost the playoff picture is rounding into form but I was wondering because I've been seeing like all these different accounts ESPN Bleach Report put up their power rankings like their final power rankings before week 17 who do you guys have in like the top few of your power rankings because like I was looking at some of these and there's like I feel like there's not hardly any good NFL teams this year there's like there's a couple really good ones like the Chiefs and like the Packers but there's like a major drop off from that, and there, then there's like another drop off after that that second tier of like not very many. I don't know. What do you guys think? And like the Bills are like a number three in a lot of them, which which is fair. Um, and then there's like Steelers, um, uh, Saints, but like even the Steelers and the Saints, I don't think are that good. And they're like the you know like in the top five in all these lists. Sam, what do you think? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I definitely, I mean, like everyone, I think the Chiefs are the clear favorite just because, I mean, they haven't been dominant lately, but they're still finding ways to win games. And I almost find like that should be almost scarier for the rest of the league. The fact that they haven't been playing well and what are they 13 and one or 14 and one, 14 and one, I think. And, Mm -hmm. and so, I mean, if they get it rolling even a little bit, how, how can you really stop that? Um, but I think if I were going to pick a challenger in the AFC for them, it would probably be the Bills. I think they, they look, they've looked really, really good. Stephon Diggs is having an all-pro season. Josh Allen looks like he's really turned the corner and is, like, becoming a re- reliably good quarterback. Um, Isn't that so, yeah. crazy? Yeah, that's wild. Whenever, I, whenever, you know, people are just raving about him now, and rightfully so, but I feel like – you know, I, I just think of, you know, a couple of years ago, it wasn't even that long ago that everyone's like, wow, this is a, a, a hilarious, uh, terrible play or terrible throw by Josh Allen. And he was kind of the butt of a lot of jokes. And now he's like setting the league on fire, basically. 
Oh, absolutely. And when he was coming out of Wyoming, everyone was talking about like how inaccurate he was and mm-hmm. how terrible of a pick it was for the Bills, just classic Bills. And all of a sudden, it kind of looked like it was going to be rough for a little while and like almost like a Mitchell Trubisky type situation. And then all of a sudden, yeah, he's just he's gotten better every single year, which is impressive. Yeah, that was that, that stacked quarterback or everyone thought it was stacked, right? That class, mm-hmm. draft class, Major Mayfield was number one overall. Sam Darnold was three. Um, Josh Rosen went like top ten or fifteen. Mm-hmm. And then, he and then, basically, uh, and then Lamar Jackson was uh, the last pick in the first round. In the first yeah. round, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was stacked. Wait, was there? There was one other guy, right? Was Daniel that, Jones in there? Is that a different one? That's that was a, year a different later, one. Okay, that was. Yeah, it was Baker, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, um, Josh Rosen, and then Lamar. Those are the five. But, yeah, I would say Chiefs, Bills would be my pick in the AFC. What are you guys thinking? Yeah, I think it's hard to hard to go against that right now. Um, the, the Steelers are kind of taking a downturn. I mean, uh, were they 11 to know? Or was it 10 yes. to know? 11. They were 11 to know. So, they were, I mean, they're one and three in the last. Uh, and they haven't really looked, you know, that good. I feel like, aren't they throwing the ball, like, 90% of the time, which – uh, yeah. with an aging quarterback is just crazy um i mean i like the titans i'd like to see the titans make a run again like last year um i just don't think they could beat the chiefs though because it's like Kentucky yeah i mean that's a tough test right. like no one you can't really imagine anyone being the chiefs <laughs> i mean yeah. but honestly like it, i'm just looking at espn's top 10 power rankings and like one chiefs two packers three bills so like there's a drop off okay. there between the Chiefs and the Packers, and another drop-off between the Packers and the Bills, I would say. And then maybe the Saints are four. They're maybe in the same tier as the Bills. Steelers, I mean, I don't really think they're very good. I think for just, I mean, they're good, but I think they're probably overrated. Baltimore Ravens would be my probably second AFC team. Okay. Probably, I would, if I had to predict, I would say Chiefs, Steelers. Uh, Chiefs, they are Ravens. on a... Yeah, you know, they're on the upswing right now, right? Um, ever since that COVID stuff was happening with them, I feel like you know they've been kind of turning things on there. I don't know. Maybe and that's then... kind of what they need. Maybe they need to be the dark horse coming in because, like, the last couple of years, I feel like they've been a favorite and it hasn't really worked out. So maybe coming in as you know, what what will they be? Maybe a five or six seed or something. Yeah, yeah. I, and then there's like there's gonna be one or two like AFC team, good AFC teams that don't get in like record wise. And there's going to be obviously one terrible record from the, the winner of the NFC East in the mm-hmm. NFC. Right. It. I don't so know. If the, there's a chance that the Browns could miss out on the playoffs. That'd be the most classic Browns thing of all time. <laughs> They're 10th here on the power rankings for ESPN. Do you agree with that? Okay. Overall? Probably. Yeah. I, I feel like on, if they have a good day, I think they could beat just about anybody. Like if they're running the ball well and Miles Are- Garrett. Are they going to have their wide receivers back? I'm not sure. Yeah. But either way, they're playing against Mason Rudolph, so I feel like they have a decent chance. Yeah, nothing's gone wrong uh, (laughs) in the past for that. (laughs) I can't wait for Miles Garrett to sack him. (laughs) I didn't even think about that. I didn't put that together, the the revenge game. I didn't either. What are you guys thinking about the NFC, though? Who's going to compete against the Packers if you had to pick one team? Uh, there's it's there's just not a lot of good the teams. Saint, I guess I'll just say the Saints 
I feel like it has to be the Saints. Um, unless you went Tampa, Tampa Bay and uh, that. I mean, Russell Wilson is always a um, a threat too, but I just they he's he's I, I don't know he's like so hot and cold and I yeah he's overrated. I've never been a big Russell Wilson fan. I will say I watched that Rams Seahawks game um, on Sunday and. The Seahawks defense looks so good all of a sudden. Jamal Adams was making like everywhere. And he's he's so good. I don't know. Did you guys see that play where he chased that running back down along the right side? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He sure. like jumped the snap and was like sprinting across the field and caught the guy at the two yard line and mm. basically ended up saving a touchdown. But wow. yeah. yeah, good for him. He's getting the playoffs for the first time now. Mm-hmm. He's a loop player. Yeah, I'd probably say the Seahawks would be my pick. Yeah. Um, okay, we should probably move on to the real topic of this <laughs> this <laughs> podcast. We're reviewing a documentary, 30 for 30 documentary that came out on August 5th of 2010. It is called Four Days in October, uh, directed by Gary Waxman. And it's about the 2004 postseason run uh, and specifically the ALCS uh, between the Red Sox and the Yankees and it's from the Red Sox perspective because they made history um, coming back coming back from down three games to none in a best of seven series winning four straight um, and breaking the curse of the Bambino uh, against the Yankees in the postseason and then eventually going to win the World Series. But this, the documentary focuses on that Yankees-Red Sox series. Um, and it starts, uh, like, it, like it says in the title, four days. Um, and it really just starts after they have lost their third game, third straight game in that, in that series. And it kind of just weaves together a whole bunch of different um, video, storylines. Kevin Millar and another player, Mike Timlin, had, had – um, their own personal camcorders that contributed to this documentary. So there's some behind the scene, uh, you want to call it never before seen footage. Um, and it just kind of, it shows a lot of the game. It's, it's a very in-game heavy uh, documentary. And it just shows the history being made and the exciting moments. And that's pretty much it um, for a summary. What did you guys think, Sam, when you uh, watched this? What was your initial impressions? I just thought it was so fun to relive that moment from, or those moments, I guess, from when you said it 16 years ago. Um, It makes sense why I don't remember a lot of the details about it. I mean, obviously, I remember how big of a deal it was to be down 3-0 and to come back, and especially for the Red Sox, who hadn't been, hadn't uh, won a World Series in 86 years, I think. Um, And so I remember it being such a big deal. But one thing that I didn't remember was how intense many of these games were um, when they were going through them, you know, it was like extra innings and they're playing past midnight and um, walk off home runs and moments where it didn't look like the Red Sox really had any chance. And all of a sudden they're, you know, pulling these games out. Um, so I just forgot how intense um, these games were. And um, especially in this rivalry, it's one of the biggest rivalries in sports. So it was just fun to relive those moments, I guess. What about you, Rudy? excuse me, I agree about, um, you know, just kind of being going through it and forgetting all that happened, how intense things were, you know, and, uh, 
I don't know if it was halfway through the documentary, but, um, you know, halfway through the series, at least, or the four games. So uh, game one, uh, super exhausting. Game two, super exhausting. Then it gets to game three and in that transition point, you know, then focusing on Kurt Schilling. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like I forgot it was like the sock game. <laughs> and it was like the first two games were so intense that I had forgotten like the most iconic game of this whole, um, you know, this whole documentary. And so um, I think it just speaks to, you know, you know, how crazy it was, how crazy of a series it was. Um, I, I think it's easy for for me to just remember, oh, yeah, they came back from 3-0 and it's the biggest rivalry. And like that's like awesome what a story but it wasn't even that it was just you know how crazy those each game was um it was fun to see the kind of behind the scenes of the Red Sox and and see how Kevin Millar was trying to be positive and and kind of be that encouraging force or at least you know from the documentary's perspective like the main encouraging force there and um so yeah super cool yeah I found it very cool too and I was trying to especially early on when I was watching it, trying to like come at it from someone who doesn't remember that series super well. Cause I remember that happening really well. I remember that watching the sock game and being like, what? he's bleeding on his foot. I remember like being so enthralled with that series because of the, all the, you know, the curse and stuff a lot because I hated the Yankees and, and it was like the ultimate like comeback, like, you know, getting at the Yankees and so I tried to come at it with like you know objective and 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 stuff like that and and you know like what if I wasn't a baseball fan like would this documentary be as um, interesting and uh no obviously not it wouldn't have been and even if I was a baseball fan would it have been as interesting if I don't really remember that series or you know I was like like a you know I don't know Miami Marlins fan that didn't really watch that series probably not but it was still, I mean, it still holds up. It would, I wouldn't have liked it as much, but I still think it, it holds up pretty well. I did want to bring up like the production um, aspect of the documentary. Cause I know we usually bring that up a little bit later, but I want to like, just talk about it um, off the top because I feel like it, we, it, 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 I don't know. It, it bears heavily and at least my rankings or ratings. And so I feel like I should talk about it more. I really liked the production of this. I, I, I'll be curious to see what you guys think, but it was super well edited. They had tons of video with which to choose. Um, the audio, the edit, the video were super professionally done, and and it's hard to encapsulate like what it felt like in the moment of like a game. But they did a really good job of like you know the music and okay now we're gonna focus on this one at bat. Um, of like, cause it's obviously you can't show all the big moments of these four total games. So I thought it was really woven together really well. Sam, I'd be interested to see what you think about that. I did have some, you know, qualms with the interviews and the green screen style of those. Those were, I didn't like that at all. But um, what did you think of the production aspect? Yeah, I didn't really like the green screen either. But um, <clears throat> like you said, the editing was amazing. Um, I loved how they would show like one at bat and then they would show like multiple different angles um, of that at bat. And so, you know, you're watching it from the TV perspective and listening to Joe Buck break it down. And then all of a sudden you're like watching a, a home video from someone who's like behind home plate. 
and just the fact that they could piece it all together and um you know make it such an amazing um total experience I, I felt like um I was getting like a fan's perspective who was at the game I was getting players perspectives when they were showing um home video of from the players and then I was also like hearing Joe Buck which is just like you think of October baseball when you hear Joe Buck so I thought it was really well done like you said how about you Nick did you have any thoughts about that I did want to point out like I think they had one like documentary crew camera in the actual games and then they used obviously the broadcast video as well it was like partially produced by MLB Productions or something so obviously they had access to all this what do you think Rudy yeah ultimately um you know or overall I agree with you guys I really liked the home cameras uh in that angle of things that they used and and even though it was like pixelated as hell like I just loved it um I loved the thought that this was coming from a flip phone seeing that in the crowd um you know at those certain spots I I just thought it you know it made me laugh one but it kind of you know uh gave that genuine side of it too so it it, kind of added to the momentum of everything of like this was an event that people you know all over were, were recording themselves like you know, you guys have probably been at a, at a sporting event or some, or a concert or something that you love it so much that you need to record it or feel the, uh, the need to take a picture at certain spots. And like, that's what this was, but it was like almost every game of the, you know, these four games that they highlighted. So I thought, I thought that was cool. So, yeah. What did you guys think about just like story with in the locker room like they focused a lot on kevin millar on kurt schilling they didn't have as much like manny manny uh being manny as much as i thought they might um hardly any of them really manny ramirez a little pedro martinez but it was a lot of a lot of kevin millar and big poppy yeah big poppy there was some there was an interview with david ortiz and stuff um nick what did you what was your takeaways from from that yeah, they definitely portrayed it to be, uh, you know, Kevin Millar being the, um, the leader in the clubhouse, um, at least from the standpoint of, you know, the, the optimism or like, you know, you know, counting us out or we're going to, you know, take one game at a time. We're going to turn some heads. So um, it was, it was interesting to see that positivity, um, you know, right from the um, start of the documentary, at least, but from game four. Um, I, I would be curious if there's, you know, um, every manager, uh, at the, when you're down three zero or if it's two or anything there, you know, they, they had a clip of Terry Francona saying, Oh, I still expect my guys to go out there and compete and we're going to, you know, keep fighting hard and we're going to try to win, you know, one game at a time. And I feel like, um, you know, all coaches say that, or all players say that from a, uh, in, in a press conference perspective. Um, but it was interesting to see like Kevin Millar, like saying that openly within the clubhouse. And, and, um, I thought it was very, it it spoke to how how unique that locker room was, um, as well as just like the chemistry that everybody had within the locker room. Yeah, I'd agree with you. And I also just didn't realize how, um, like many characters they had on their team, I guess. I didn't remember that part of it. And I think at one point, Terry Francona, it might've been after they won it all. He said something about how the press knows that they have a lot of characters on the team, but now he hopes that they realize that they have a lot of, that the team has a lot of character. 
And so I thought that that was kind of a funny way of putting it. He was and, really pleased with that line. You know yeah, he was. He you was could tell he like he prepared it for a long time. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was just fun. Like we were saying before, all the home video and stuff to see the behind the scenes, to see Big Poppy dancing, and to see you know the people giving each other a hard time or building each other up and stuff during this tough time when they're down 3-0. That was fun to see. I I mean, you, like you said, there's so many personalities. There's so many people that I remember that I was like, oh him. First of all, we haven't mentioned Duckman Kavich was on that team. They, they, they never interviewed him in this documentary, but they showed him celebrating and playing and stuff. I, I mean, that was another reason why I was rooting hard for my guy, former twin. Mm-hmm. But, um, like, there's so many guys. Jason Veritek because like, the catcher, the captain. Like, I'll basically forget about him. And then, obviously, mentioned Gary Sheffield. Was Gary Sheffield was, yeah, he was on the Yankees. On the Yankees, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. I'm so sorry. I was like, whoa, because I'm not a, a Gary Sheffield fan. So I was like, what? Oh, okay. Johnny Damon, we almost forgot. Um, well, the locks. The, the long salad on him. And then yeah. like, two years later, he's uh, signed a huge deal with the Yankees. Or maybe the next year. Like, was that was, his? And I was, was like, some... oh, I'm out on, on Damon. Because he was the big guy talking about the rivalry throughout that series. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah, well, these are our sworn enemies. And then he, like, is a traitor, and this is why I hate the <laughs> Dave Roberts, who just won the yes. World Series as the manager of the Dodgers this year, and he was the pinch runner and came up clutch in games twice. Yeah, games what four and five, and yep. I was like, whoa, mm-hmm. young baby Dave Rogers, which yeah. Dave Roberts. I mean, um, I mean, it wasn't that long ago. Like they said, it was sixteen years ago, but crazy that now he just won a World Series as a manager. That was one of the most intense moments was when he pinch ran in game four and Mariano Rivera is staring him down like three straight times. He, he, he throws it back to first base, something like that. And then the, everyone in the whole stadium, they said, like knew that Dave Roberts was going to steal and he steals anyways. And he probably was safe by like, what, in half an inch? Exactly. Yeah. I thought he was out the first playing of it in the, in the movie. Yeah, same. So close. Yeah. Well, and imagine so, like, if they would have called him out too, because there's yeah. no like replay or anything with that uh, back then. So we're definitely not sitting here talking about this documentary if that happens. Right. And I forgot that, that games four and five were both extra inning games. Like game five went 14 innings, I think. Like it's wild. Yeah. They were playing until I, I thought it was funny the next day Joe Buck was talking and he was saying like, whatever relief pitcher is coming in, he actually threw two innings this early this morning. I thought yeah. that was funny. Yeah, Mariano Rivera. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, just a whole bunch of good moments in here. I mean, I was just kind of enthralled you know, feeling the whole time. Um, mm-hmm. The curse of the Bambino is the thing that they're all talking about for context. That's Bambino, Babe Ruth, when they when – they, Red Sox traded Babe Ruth to the Yankees, and then that's when they, how they say – the curse started, um, and the Red Sox did, hadn't won a World Series until then. Um, didn't didn't they trade him for like a playwright or something? Yeah, people always say something about that. They like for something about Broadway. I'm not sure, and then like cash or something. Yeah. So it was like a business deal, and it was ill-advised in hindsight, obviously. But I mean, yeah, there's a lot of good moments here. Sam, did you have your your segment in mind, your goosebumps moment? I have one. I have one. I don't. I'll, I'll say Ooh. mine and let you guys. Yeah, think you say yours. It. Let me think. For me, 
and it kind of goes for a lot of documentaries about the big game or a championship is when they get that camera in the bar um, and they, you know, they show, they're showing the crowd around the bar, looking up at the TV and like living and dying with like every pitch and stuff. And they, they had a, a ton of that featured in this documentary. And I mean, like, I mean, I, I, when I watched this live, I was rooting for the Red Sox, but I'm not like a big Red Sox fan or anything, but like, like for that, like that was like, like such a cool moment. Um, and it, it really is a can't fail uh, move for a documentary to have uh, footage of that because it always pretty much always works. And for me, that was my, my moment. That's a good one. Um, the one that comes to mind um, I had actually forgotten about the goosebump moment, so good reminder. But um, just thinking back on it, it's kind of a small moment. But when Kurt Schilling has such a great performance, and then he goes into the dugout, and um, Terry Francona gives him a big hug, and like all his teammates start hugging him and stuff, that was a. I thought that was a pretty powerful moment. Just like how much the season means to them, and how much like Kurt Schilling going out there and competing on a bum ankle meant to that entire team and the entire organization, and. Um, I thought that moment showed it really well. Yeah, for me, I, I think it was um, when – what game was it when A-Rod hit the uh, – um, on the way to first base, he hit the um, ball or the glove off of the hand? Was that Was six? that Kurt Schilling's game? I think that was – yeah. I think that was – I think, was, I think it was. Yeah, because it was Bronson Arroyo came in uh, as the reliever With for the Kurt dreads, Schilling. The oh, yeah, so it was like, you know, that whole play – and then, like, everybody knew the significance of that play. Um, in tell the, us what happened. I was, I was going to bring this up later. Yeah, tell yeah. Us what so, so did. I forget. Um, was it just a grounder that A-Rod hit? Yeah, to the pitcher, right? Yeah, to the pitcher. And so then he's running the first base. And then um, as he's running the first base, they're going to take him out. Um, and, and he, you know, swipes at, uh, at, the, at the glove or at the – um, at the ball, uh, which was in the glove of the, um, of the Red Sox player and, and uh, knocks the glove off. Uh, and then ultimately the ball comes out, obviously. And, and uh, then he ends up at second base, right? Mm-hmm. And Derek and, Jeter scores and, from first. And then A-Rod is sitting there on second base. Uh, obviously the Red Sox are like, this dude just like swung at my glove and like tore it off basically. And then A-Rod sitting there like, what did I do? I was just running. And he's like mimicking his running form as though, yeah. you know, <laughs> so that's all he did when, you know, the replay shows that he, you know, <laughs> did as hard of a swing as he could while running. So um, this is the yeah, epitome this is the epitome of Alex Rodriguez. <laughs> He's trying to get away with just being a dick. It's like, I mean, yes. it's the epitome. And then after that is the epitome of the Yankees. They all are so upset that their cheater got caught. And they throw like hundreds of beer bottles onto the field. Yep. And it's like a it, dangerous situation. And the New York police department has to be in riot gear on the field. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty ridiculous. And that's another moment where I was like, this was this series? Like, I remember that A-Rod <laughs> moment, but I forgot it was like game six, the Kurt Schilling sock game. It was all intertwined. I forgot all about that. I wrote down that. I wrote the A-Rod moment. And I was like, this is this scene sums up why Yankees, the Yankees are awful. And I was like, I got I had to catch myself. <laughs> and I'm like, no, there's a lot of other reasons. It's not just this. There's other players on other teams and other 
fans that are nasty, but like that's just another reason to dislike the Yankees. That's what I'll say. So that's uh, hilarious. Um, what else? What else? The ending music in the last scene, I um, sounded like it was straight out of the soundtrack for Lord of the Rings. I wrote that down. It, was, <laughs> it sounded like they were in at the in the Shire, and it was like some sort of flutes music. Anything else, guys? I liked how this was just pretty much just the um, championship series, and then they hardly showed. They didn't show really the World Series. They showed like a little bit of celebration, maybe, but. I, for a second, I like forgot that it wasn't the World Series because like mm-hmm. this was the everyone said this is the most important series, and then they went on to I think sweep they, the next series or maybe win it in five. So. Yeah, they swept the Cardinals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, I was yeah. gonna I was gonna ask you guys. I, I did a little research. Um, what do you or who do you think had the higher payroll? I mean, I guess that's a dumb question, but um, <laughs> I guess I shouldn't even ask this question. I should just tell you. The Yankees payroll, they, they had the first highest payroll, 184 million. Red Sox were second that year. Um, and so it was the top two teams payroll. What do you think the twins were ranked that year? 29. Yeah, I was gonna say 28. Actually, surprisingly, 19. Yeah, 53 million. I looked what, it up. What 2004? That's probably they're probably paying what, like Johan Santana. Probably had a big yeah. deal. And, uh, would that have been cheap Liriano? Or is that too soon for Liriano? That that was probably too soon. But Tory Hunter and yeah, Tory Hunter was still there. I'm get, I can't quite remember. I don't think like Morneau and Maurer had big deals yet. But there's obviously other guys that did. Right. Nathan probably I had did... a big deal by then. Yeah. Yeah, I was just curious because I wanted to look it up and see like what the difference was between the payrolls. Yeah. 184 million to 127 million. Anyway, <laughs> sorry to bring you down. <laughs> Anything else, guys? I have uh, my rating. Yeah, no, I don't the think other so. thing I wanted to mention was, uh, you know, with our whole Kurt Chilling game, I, I forgot why he had that, um, you know, bloody sock. And of course, me being medical uh, nerd, I like looked up as to like you know the surgery that they did in that whole thing, and so it seemed like from what I was reading, it was like all hands on deck basically to try to get this guy to be able to pitch. Uh, they had four days to figure it out. Um, and it, it, they brought in a consult or like another physician, their team physician is like a hand surgeon by trade. And not that he isn't like, you know, good at other stuff, but, um, but he's like specializes in hand surgery. So they brought in like a foot surgeon and they just basically like seemed like they were just brainstorming ways on like how to allow his ankle to work. And so it was like, there's like tendons in your ankle that's on the outside back or out back side of your ankle. And that muscle or those that um, the muscle that those tendons are, are part of, it, it's like your push off muscles. So it's like the, the um, it makes your foot go down and out. And so like, obviously you need that. Um, on your stance leg. And so um, what was happening was that um, there's like a, think of it like a tape that's basically over those tendons that keeps your tendons kind of in place. And that tape was like, you know, busted. And so those tendons were like kind of flopping around anywhere. Whenever he pushed off, they'd like go onto his uh, like outer ankle bone. And so they'd kind of shift out of place. 
And so it was like super dis like uncomfortable for them. And they, they were saying it wasn't like not painful, but it was just like, you know, anytime something's shifting out of place, you're like, that's not right. Yeah. And so, um, so they were saying that when he pitched, this is something that happened way back in June. Uh, and he was just like going through it basically. And I think it just deteriorated through the season. Um, but he was like, you know, hopped up on um, local anesthetics the whole season and uh, they're saying that the game one, or did he pitch in game one, or was it game two? I think it was game one of the yeah, uh, one of the early games in that series. Yeah, and so like one of the reasons why he was like shelled was because by the Yankees was because um, his pitching form wasn't good because he was being bothered by that so much. So then they did this surgery, um, and basically they just like made up this surgery to try to like do it in a pinch uh they tested on some cadavers like oh a day God. like the day of or the day before and they decided to say like screw it let's go with it and um and it worked so and, and so basically the they just like stapled some skin to prevent that um or, or some stitches to to prevent the tendon from moving and then right after the game they like took the stitches out or else it was going to be like an infection risk and then they did it again in uh, the World Series. Wow. That's insane. So the things I, they'll I, do. Yeah. So I thought it was game. hilarious that, you know, it's just a base, just a baseball game, right? Yeah. Uh, but it's like all hands on deck, and, and Kurt Schilling was basically a test dummy. That's, That's wild. crazy. And I did like how they talked about, like, was it? There's a theory. Um, yeah, it was a ketchup. It was ketchup because it's been, it's been growing. It's so, it seems so unrealistic. <laughs> but obviously, it was real blood sitting there on yeah. the white sock. Yeah, it's freaking crazy. I, I think that sock's in the Hall of Fame now, actually. That's wild, man. All right, my ultimate rating of this, um, it takes – I tried to take into account, into account how much, like, I have nostalgia for it and try to be objective. I'm giving it 7.4 Bambinos. Because the production was was really good, the editing like I mean even a time when like they were saying Pedro Martinez was going to be a free agent next year and they quick cut to him on the bus from who knows when joking about he's like I'm a free agent and then they cut back like they had literally so much um, footage from like probably the whole season woven in there whenever needed so it, it like clipped along the pacing was really good and then also like i talked about the in-game stuff was dramatic and laid out well so 7.4 um just for the that fact and and the historic like the history made um is another you know great thing in the documentary for me how about you uh sam yeah i agree with everything you said um the editing was amazing and um just being able to look back at that series, which is one of the greatest baseball series that I've ever witnessed and something that I look back on fondly and to be able to remember the details because of this documentary was fantastic. Um, so I'm going to give this one 8.4. Who's your daddies? Um, because Pedro Martinez, like, I think they said like 27 days earlier before this all happened. Um, got beat up pretty good by the Yankees. And at one point in an interview, he said that the Yankees were his daddy or something <laughs> like that. And so when Pedro Martinez went in, was it game 
game seven, um, Terry Francona put him in in relief in the ninth inning or eighth inning or something. They were up like eight to two, and uh, the Yankees fans started chanting, "Who's your daddy?" <laughs> That's funny. Who's your daddy? And I I didn't know about that or remember that, so I thought that was awesome. Yeah, I love this one too, guys. Uh, I don't think I looked away, uh, you know, during the whole uh, documentary, um, aside from two times, which was to research about Kurt Schilling's uh, <laughs> surgery <laughs> and also to grab another or grab a bite to eat. So <laughs> uh, I was I was loving this. Um, nostalgia factor was high. Um, I, I, I was able to overlook some of the, you know, um, uh, I guess frustrations are like the, the things that we've been talking about, about, um, you know, like the green screen and things like that, that maybe weren't the most ideal, but it was pretty easy to look past that because it was, it was just kept captivating, just kept my, uh, my energy or I guess my uh, attention the whole time. Um, so I'm going to give this one a 8.9 uh, sketchy tunnels. Uh, and so that tunnel, uh, I was like one of the, I think it was in game five. Or, or game four, excuse me. And they showed like the tunnel and Fen Fenway Park to the clubhouse. And it reminded me of the CSP sketchy tunnel uh, from, <laughs> from like the kitchen to like the admin building, I think it was. Yes, that, <laughs> that's a good comparison. Wait, which tunnel? The one from like the like um, financial like the... aid area to yeah. the dining hall? Yeah, that yeah. one was always yeah. dripping with water. Oh yes. yeah, <laughs> so gross. <laughs> yeah, I could have collapsed at any second. Dimly lit. <laughs> I've uh, I actually got to tour Fenway like in 2015 or 2016, and it is so old and so like it's so much smaller than you'd expect it to be, but because it is so old, but it's like magical. If you guys ever get the chance, you have to check it out. That's <sighs> Whenever we talk about another baseball stadium, I want to go. I've literally only been to two or three baseball stadiums. And I, I mean, like, one of my goals is to go to Bull Mall. But, Which um, ones have you been to? I've just been to – well, I've been to Target Field and the Metrodome. You can count that as one or two. And then I also went to Coors Field in Denver. Oh, okay. Oh, sure. But I'm, it's kind of embarrassing how few I've been to. But... Yeah, I've been to – I've been to Miller Park. Um Bush Stadium and Kaufman. Do you have to see a game in them? I, I mean, ideally, I guess. I don't know. Right, right. Um, I've been to Miller Park, Target Field, uh, Wrigley. Oh, I've been to Wrigley, too. Where else have I been? Uh, obviously, Bush Stadium. And then I've been inside of Safeco, and I got a tour of Fenway. Safeco is Seattle, right? Yep. Yeah. I think the one I really want to go to is PNC in Pittsburgh. I've heard it's amazing. It's always on top of the rankings and stuff. Mm -hmm. It just looks amazing. And the uh, um, San Francisco Giants one with McCubbin back there. The Bay. I I think about it. Kayak in the Bay. (laughs) Yes. Barry Bonds definitely made that more famous. Yeah. I, I fell in love with that one when the All-Star game was there probably like five, six years ago. And there's just like tons of kayakers getting home run balls for the home run derby. I mean, oh, sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's move on to our next segment. We're going long here. Long one tonight. 
uh, Christmas wrapping up. We figured we got to get one Christmas themed Mount Rushmore in. So we're doing uh, Mount Rushmore of Christmas songs. This can be any songs via hymn. It can be uh, a popular song, pop music. And first off is Nick. Yep. Okay. So whenever you're ready, you're on the clock. Perfect. Easy pick, boys. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. (laughs) Nice. That's my anthem. That's my my song. It's his walk-up baseball song. Yup. It was my... uh... (laughs) Exactly, in Little League. (laughs) I love that. It was my pump-up music in college. (laughs) No surprise. All right. I figured you'd take that one. For me, uh, I'm next, right? Yep. For me, it's kind of a weird one. Uh, I've always loved this song since probably like, I don't know, middle school or something. Uh, I, it was almost like a kind of like a doing a bit when I first started, like pretending I liked it. But I actually really like it. And it's Last Christmas by Wham. Uh, <laughs> I love Last Christmas. It's like a just this kind of emo guy who's in love or who like got his heart broken last Christmas. And it's, I mean, it's like a popular one on the radio all the time, but that's a, that's a good one for me. I was not expecting you to pick that one that high. <laughs> I didn't want to get taken. Or at all. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> that's a good one. Um, I'm going to go with, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. That's a good one. That's one of the ones that I, I feel like I always am singing it like first snow. So I, Michael uh, Buble, I think, has one of the, has a version of that. I think it's on the radio. Yep. I thought it was uh, Bubble. <laughs> 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 you should have picked them in uh, the Canadian draft last week. Oh, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I don't really like his vibe. I, I like his music, but not his vibe, so I can't pick him. <laughs> That's fair. Um. Uh, I'm up again. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the classic, uh, "Silent Night." Dang. Yep. Had to steal it. I feel like one of you guys is gonna steal it. Um, it's like the ultimate Christmas classic song. You sing it at the end of church. Uh, the church I go to lights candles. I don't know about you guys. Um, but it's when I think of Christmas, that's one of the first songs I think of. <clears throat> I should have taken that. I don't know why I took last Christmas. That was obviously not gonna get. <laughs> That's just bad drafting by me. <laughs> I'm ashamed of myself. Um, Start calling you the Bears. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Bears are in playoff position right now. Like if the season ended. Think about that. I know. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I'm going to do the first Noel. It's like kind of seems abstract, but like everyone knows like the words by heart without even really knowing it. Like when it comes on. That's like another kind of classic one. Like it's being a lot at Christmas, but um, I think there's a whole bunch of versions of it. It's super good. Yeah, Nick. So I got two here, right? Yep. Uh, so I'm gonna go uh, with "Oh Holy Night" with uh, with like that deep male voice. Like that's the bomb. And then "Oh Come All You Faithful" is another banger in church. Dang, another one off my list. <laughs> Dropping like flies. I love like, I mean, you know, going to church during Christmas season, especially, and just hearing the bangers or like looking through the bulletin and seeing the bangers are off. <laughs> <I'm> like, Heck yeah. 
The so, bangers. I yeah. love it. <laughs> no, that's that's very true. I'm up, right? I'm gonna go. I'll be home for Christmas by Bing Crosby. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's like another sort of uh, sentimental one, but it's also another classic that you hear all the time. Um, and it's it's like the only really one about like coming home for Christmas, which is you'd think there'd be a lot more like that. So that's my pick. That's a good one. Anything by Bing Crosby, you really can't go wrong with. Yeah. No. Um. All right, my first two. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas and Silent Night. I'm gonna go with a fun one. I'm gonna go with Frosty the Snowman. That's another good one. I like mm-hmm. that song. Mm-hmm. Just a classic. All the kid. What kid doesn't love a good Frosty the Snowman? That movie is actually good. Have you seen that like animated movie? Yes, I have. It's pretty good. It is. Um, and then my last one is a family classic. Um, my mom loved Vince Gill Christmas, and so we listened to it every time that we um, opened presents when we were kids, and so I still listen to it all the time. Um, so Let There Be Peace on Earth, it's, that, uh, it's an album, but it's also a song on the, um, on the album by Vince Gill, and it's like anytime I hear it, I like think of um, childhood Christmas and opening presents and stuff with my family, so I'll go with that one. That's a good one. Is that like let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me is that one yeah that that one is not on the radio as often but that's another banger (laughs) oh for sure uh you're up again my last one i gotta do an instrumental song that charlie brown christmas theme song you know that scene in the movie where they're all just like dancing like they're little animated charlie brown christmas special and like um it's just, I can't really, like, put into words, like, what, it's just, like, this basic, like, piano melody, but it's, like, so I can picture iconic. It. Yeah, yeah. So that's a, I feel like that had to be on my list. I always love the Charlie Brown dance where his feet are just going in and out and his head's just bobbing back and forth. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> It's, that's like, a such call. a simple dance. But... <laughs> they just, like, animators just, like, programmed, okay, now they have it, and them all do this little thing. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> All right, round us out. All right, rounding out. Uh, last one, I'm going to go to uh, one of the classic uh, movies. I'm going to go the Grinch uh, song. All right. You're a mean Mr. one. Mr. Grinch. You're a mean one. Nice. All Love right, it. so Nick Nick went with Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Oh, Holy Night, Oh, Come All Ye Faithful, and the Grinch. Ren went with Last Christmas, The First Noel, I'll Be Home for Christmas, and Charlie Brown, uh, Christmas theme song i went with it's beginning to look a lot like christmas silent night frosty the snowman and let there be peace on earth so sam's are a little more classy classic classy mine are pretty classy (laughs) (laughs) mine are all over the place really i don't know and then and then nick's is like there's a couple hymns and a couple like more child ones right Mm -hmm. that's my synopsis (laughs) (laughs) um merry christmas everyone what is it new year's eve two days three days until it's not this year anymore thank god i know okay we're running long we got eight minutes 45 seconds on a counter here so i'm gonna go with our next segment quickly is our 
documentary wish list. It's my turn this week, and I, uh, I've been getting into snowboarding lately because you can't go play golf out in the snow in Minnesota, and it's how to go outside and do something that's allowed uh, in the pandemic. So I've been snowboarding a lot, and I've always been a fan of Chloe Kim, the best uh, U.S. Uh, female snowboarder, arguably of all time, and she's like 21 right now. She won a gold medal at the Olympics in, uh, when she was 17 last winter olympics so she's probably not even 20 yet she's probably like just turned 20 anyway she has a good story her family uh her parents are from south korea they immigrated here before she was born her um she was like on a snowboard from when she was super young her dad quit his job to um drive her around to competitions and stuff they eventually they moved her out in her childhood to geneva i think to snow, uh, to snowboard, um, like this, the Alps. Um, so she like trained in the Swiss Alps and, and then came back and she's from California and came back and, and finished the rest of like her, um, I don't know, development in like middle school years back in the U S and she has just an amazing story when in the Olympics, um, and the X games, I think, but the Olympics most notably, like when she won gold, like, her dad and her mom were there and it was like such a great scene. It was, I remember vividly, she's like super talented and just blowing out these pros, these like medalists that are like 20, you know, nine that have been around for 15 years. And she's like 17 and blowing everyone out of the water. She's like the Sean White of, of women's snowboarding. So she's still obviously pretty young and has a big career ahead of her. And there's, so that's why there hasn't been a documentary made about her yet, which there probably will be soon. So that's my choice. I think it'd be a good one. That'd be awesome. I've heard she's amazing. I've seen, I haven't like watched a ton of her, but I've definitely seen some highlights. She's unreal. And she, yeah, she's like progressing what women can do in terms of like tricks and rotations and stuff like that. So are you taking notes so that you can yeah i mean i'm getting there man no i'm probably never gonna go off like a massive jump like that's just too insane i, I can like carve up and down the, the hill that's that's where i'm at right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay last segment um what's coming up next sam okay so we are on episode 25 and it's the story of croatian I'm not even Drazen Petrovic and Serbian Vlad Divac, NBA players and Yugoslavian national teammates, and how upheaval in their homeland adversely and irretrievably affected their friendship. Um, so it was produced October 12, 2010, and it is 90 minutes long, just so you guys know. Oh boy. <laughs> A little bit longer. Nick, make sure you plan your. I'll have to plan ahead for that one. <laughs> your schedule, your Gophers <laughs> basketball schedule around that. Oh no! <laughs> Wait, what is it called? Once Brothers or something? something? Yes, one, okay. Once Brothers. All right, we'll look forward to that. Um, I hope everyone enjoyed. Shout out to our our followers on Instagram for uh, following along with with us. Um, and leave us any questions you have um, or any thoughts on the documentaries that you're watching along with us. Please do that. Happy New Year, everybody. Bye.